Blog Talk Radio. Bienvenido. Shalom, brothers and sisters, and welcome once again to our show, The Virtual Living Room, presented by the brothers from the Body of Christ Church. I'm your host, Brother Kazakia, and believe me, it's a privilege and a blessing to be with you all once again this lovely Sunday afternoon, investigating the scriptures, researching into the Word of the Heavenly Father so that we can have the understanding of what, of what it means to repent. And today's topic, believe it or not, is dealing with the Lord's Prayer and the Pope. So now, let's understand something, brothers and sisters. The Lord's Prayer is one of the most famous prayers in the Holy Bible. Its five verses serve as a confirmation of faith to countless Christians all over. It's recited daily by thousands in innumerable languages and is the standard taught by Christ to communicate with the Heavenly Father. Recently, a verse of the Lord's Prayer in particular has come under the scrutiny of the Pope. According to the Pope, the verse of the Lord's Prayer, which states, and lead us not into temptation, quote, is not a good translation because it speaks of a God who induces temptation, unquote. French religious leaders have already adopted a different phrase, and now it begs the question, is the Pope justified in wanting to shepherding of the Lord's Prayer in reference to temptation? Does the Pope have the authority to cause such a change? Could changing the words of the Lord's Prayer indeed change the essence of the prayer itself? This is the topic of this afternoon's conversation, and my guest here to help me investigate this topic is Brother Kabar. Brother Kabar, thank you so much for sacrificing time here this afternoon. How are you doing, brother? Doing good. Good to be with you. Good to be with all of, all of the listeners and giving all praises to the Most High in the name of Christ for the opportunity to uh, edify, be an example, and bring forth the word of the Heavenly Father as it is written in the Bible, especially concerning this topic of of the Lord's Prayer. So good to be with you. Good to be with everybody. Giving all praises. So I'm going to start off with the obvious, brother, and that obvious is when you read the article, articles, um, what was your impression? What, what was your immediate takeaway from that? You know, there's a, of course, we, you know, we all know a lot of people around the world you know, there's been a lot of controversy surrounding the Roman Catholic Church almost from its inception. And there's been many um, events and scandals and things that has come out not only, you know, hundreds of years ago, but but as far as a year ago. Um, and so there's there's always been some controversy in one way, shape, or form um, when you look at the Roman Catholic Church, and a lot of controversial things have been happening and, and, and going on, so to me, it was it was just another installment, another episode of a of an ongoing.
conflict, especially dealing with this church. And we know it's a false church. We know a lot of the doctrines that they deal with aren't scriptural. And so when I read this article, um, and a man who calls himself the vicar of Christ or the very essence and presence of Jesus Christ himself on the earth, okay, because that's, that's what he is seen as and that's what he is purported to be according to the Roman Catholic Church and its followers. For him to not only <clears throat> take that title upon himself and that authority upon himself, but then now to believe that he has the right and authority and ability to start to change words in the Bible and and uh, bring about what he feels according to his, his own carnal human mind, uh, what a better understanding is. Um, it just, it's just another installment of the pride and arrogancy that uh, leaders of this organization have. That, that was my takeaway from it. Well, believe it or not, I had a not-so-different takeaway from uh, the articles, and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, who does he decide what is acceptable or what's the proper phrasing of the word of the Lord God Almighty himself? I mean, who, who left him with that authority? As far as I've seen in the scriptures, there is no scripture, there is no mandate given by God to a pope uh, that he can have that 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 gives him that authority. But let's let's get into the scriptures right quick, because something I I definitely want to talk about, and uh, by all means, brother, <laughs> jump in. Um, he he has a problem with the phrasing, and lead us not into temptation. And for for, for all of those listening in who are unfamiliar, we're talking about the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter six, verse nine to verse thirteen, verse fourteen, and that 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 one part. And lead us not into temptation. According to the Pope, it, 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 that verse, in his mind, suggests that God uh, uh, is responsible uh, for for our temptation. But there's a problem with that. And the problem is when you read further in the scriptures in the Holy Bible, um, there are verses that tell us that the Heavenly Father does not induce temptation or cause us to be tempted. And I'm referring specifically to James chapter 1, and I'm going to start at uh, uh, verse verse 12. And by all means, brother, whenever you want to interject, by all means, just interject. But I would like to read a couple of verses here. And it starts, James, the first chapter, starting at verse 12, and it says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love it. <clears throat> Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God mm. cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. Now, I'm going to stop right here for the sake of emphasis. So the Pope is stating, or his mindset, or his mentality is, um, you know, the, uh, how the Lord's Prayer it's translated how it reads in uh, Matthew 6 and 9. It, it speaks of a, of a God, according to his words now, these are his words, a God that induces temptation. Keep in mind that Matthew 6 and 9, those are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. So, all Christ know what he's talking about. Anyway, 
I'm going to read it again. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So that pretty much sums it up that the Heavenly Father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, is not responsible for our temptations. In other words, the Heavenly Father is not the culpable one when it comes to our temptations or our lusts. The Heavenly Father is not the culpable one. But when we read on in verse 14, it tells us something very, very vital. It says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So in other words, our temptation comes from within. Our temptation comes from we see things that appeal to our lust, whatever they may be, and instead of rejecting those thoughts or those impulses, we play with them. We, 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 we create scenarios in our heads in which we can entertain those lusts. We can entertain those thoughts. We can entertain those impulses. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves playing those scenarios, those impulses, those lusts out in our lives, and the end result of that is the sin that we commit, and the end result of the sin that we commit, unless we repent, the consequence will be death. Now, brother, if I'm missing something, by all means, fill in the gaps. No, no, bro. No, you. Uh, as far as I see that, that's right on point. Uh, because you know the thing is, and that's that is a very good point that you pointed out. That when you talk about the Lord's prayer, can you hear me, brother? Yes, sir, I can hear you perfect, well, well, perfectly. Yeah, well, you you know you pointed out in that the Lord's prayer. Uh, it, it's actually the words of Jesus Christ coming to us, giving us a pattern and example of how we're supposed to approach the Most High in prayer, and 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 then supplicating toward the Heavenly Father, and it's stated the way it needs to be stated to us. So the thing is, the the Scripture already lays out, like you 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 just read, perfectly clear that is not the Most High inducing, enticing us to commit any sin. Because he can't be tempted with sin. Because mm-hmm. the scriptures tell us that the Most High is light and in him is no darkness at all. So <laughs> it, 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 it shows you that <clears throat> as far as the Pope, you know, you have uh, evil things coming from a, a person with a corrupt mind. And now this person feels like, their their understanding is better than the Heavenly Father. The way they were stated, the way they will put it, the way their understanding is is better than the Heavenly Father. And so now we we're gonna change the words of the Heavenly Father. And there's some serious there are serious consequences for changing the words and the meanings in the scriptures and then teaching people that. Um Yeah, go into that please. So so when you when you talk about changing the words and the meanings of the Bible. Because even nowadays, you can see, you know, there's all types of translations of the Bible. You know, you have the 
homosexual translated Bible, and it did. I can't, I don't remember the exact title, but it's it's, it's one for homosexuals where. You know, everything in the Bible that has to deal with the sin of homosexuality is pretty much, you know, kind of written out or or, or or watered down or just removed. And, you know, this is, this is the wickedness that lies in the heart of men, and these are the things that we have to repent of because if we don't, there's a serious consequence that comes along with it. So when we look into the scriptures, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 19, this is the words of our Lord once again coming from Jesus Christ. And what does it say to us? Excuse me. I'll start at Revelation chapter 22, verse 18. And Christ says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. Right? When you talk about the words of the prophecy of this book, remember in Revelation Christ is just summing up all of the things that has been written since Genesis. So it's not like the part that's written in Revelation does not connect to or is related to what's been written since Genesis onward. So it's talking about the entire Bible, right? If any man shall take away from the words of the prophet of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So it's talking about damnation. It's talking about not receiving eternal life and the kingdom of heaven. That's how serious this uh, sin is of altering, changing the words and meanings in the scriptures, the words and meanings that were handed down to us from the Heavenly Father through Christ. It's a serious crime. But like I said, you, you see that written in Revelations, but remember, Christ is just summing up everything that has been written since the beginning. So let's do that. Let's go back into the first five books of Moses, right? So when you go into Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2, is it going to say something different from Revelations twenty two nineteen? No, it's not. So let's read that in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2. What does it say? Deuteronomy 4, mm-hmm. he says, Ye shall not, this is the Heavenly Father, outside of verse 1, giving instruction to the children of Israel through Moses, just like the Heavenly Father gave his final instructions to the children of Israel through Christ in these last days and time for the new covenant. We want to find the same stipulation, whether it was for the, the first covenant, the old covenant, or the new covenant now in Christ, is the same stipulation and it carries the same penalty. Deuteronomy 4 and 1. Now, therefore, hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments that I teach you, for to do them that ye may live, and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God, which the Lord says, possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. So this is talking about under that first covenant, we were supposed to take heed to the Lord's statutes and commandments that we may live, period have life and go in and possess the land, meaning take possession of that promise of that of that kingdom that the most high promised us. Right? That was for them. Now we have an even better promise, better kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, that's going to be uh, established here on earth through Christ, and the same thing applies. We have to keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments. 
But it goes on to say also, verse 2, ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep my commandments, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. It's, it's written right there in Deuteronomy in the first five books of Moses that we are not supposed to add to or subtract from, diminish from the word of the Heavenly Father. It's perfect the way it is. Leave it alone. Hear it. Understand it. Do it. That's all we have to do. We don't got to go in there and start tinkering with it and changing it and altering it because when we do that, there's a serious it's a serious crime, it's a sin, and it carries serious penalties like we just discussed. Exactly. And, you know, when, we, when, we, when you read those two scriptures in Revelation 22 and 18, and also in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2, it answers those, the two questions in the show synopsis, in the show synopsis. Is the Pope justified in wanting to change the wording of the Lord's Prayer in reference to temptation? The answer is no. Does the Pope have the authority to cause such a change? The answer still is no, because no, it was read, you read it, Deuteronomy 4 and 2, start at verse 1, to uh, verse 2, also <clears throat> Revelation is chapter 22 and verse 18. But now there's a point of concern that I want to bring to the forefront, brother, mm-hmm. because a lot of people, a lot of people look to this man for guidance. I mean, let's, let's be honest with each other. This man is arguably more influential than the President of the United States. And when he's doing things like this on a whim, you know what? I don't like the way that looks or I don't like the way that reads. And he wants to go about changing things, it's a cause for grave and extreme concern. Now, what I want to get to is this. I want to read a few scriptures. I want to start in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, it shows us something extremely important. Acts 17, I'm going to start at verse 10, but the point is in verse 11. And by all means, brother, uh, if you got something you want to interject, by all means, bring it. Acts 17 and 10, and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who come and thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Verse 11 is the key. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So in other words, we're reading an example of our people in the past, brothers in the past, that received the word of the Heavenly, of the heavenly Father with all readiness of mind, but not just received it, they took the initiative to go and investigate Research in scriptures to see whether the things being taught, whether the things that were being brought to the forefront were true or not. Now, the relevance of this scripture to today's conversation that that we're having is people aren't investigating and reading the scriptures for themselves. A lot of people are dependent upon what the Pope, and not just the Pope, the Pope, their archbishop, their, their, their bishop, their deacon, their pastor, their preacher, they're dependent and receiving what these men are saying, but not taking it upon themselves to 
make sure that that which their religious leader is saying is the actual truth coming out of the word of the Heavenly Father, out of the Bible, or their own opinion. Now, brother, if I'm missing something, here again I ask you, fill in the gaps. But the overall point is, it is incumbent upon us to take this Bible, open it, 2 Timothy 2 and 15, I believe, study to show thyself approved so that when things, when issues, when occurrences like these arise, we can sit confidently in our faith and say, uh-uh, that's not necessary because the Most High already showed us in the Scriptures who is truly culpable for temptation. It has nothing to do with him himself, no. That temptation is on us. But if we're not reading the scriptures, if we're not meditating, and above and beyond, if we are not applying, then how are we supposed to know that? How are we going to have our spiritual defense when someone wants to come up with an opinion about the Bible, an opinion about the scriptures, an opinion about the teachings of Christ, if we don't know, if we're not studying, if we're not applying if we're not searching the scriptures daily, if I'm missing something, what is, what is it that I'm missing? Exactly. I'm, we're supposed to be uh, searching the scriptures daily. It doesn't matter who says what. It matters, is it written in the Bible? And the thing is, mm-hmm. you can pick out any uh, particular verse and find what you feel is a, a structural or grammatic um, inconsistency because we're talking about uh, things written in uh, um, either old English or foreign language, so on and so forth, and 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 make an issue out of it. But you got to understand, when you read the Bible, you're not reading a novel. You're not reading, you know, uh, 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 you know, a, 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 you know, Donald Goins novel or something where, okay, well, you, we're going to start on this page and this, that, and the other. No, the scriptures tell you how to read the Bible. When you go into Isaiah chapter 28, verse 10, it tells you what? For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, and what? Here a little and there a little. That's how you read in the Bible. It's all going to line up and match up. So you don't need to go, well, read a citation. Well, what does that mean? I mean, can God be telling us, can God be leading us into temptation and we got to try to find our way out of it? That's foolishness. James, we just read James, verses 13 and 14 says what? Let no man say when, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So when it says, uh, and lead us not to temptation, is that God tempting us? We know that's impossible because the scriptures just say, neither tempteth he any man. So God is not the one tempting us. So that can't possibly mean God is tempting us, period. Verse 14 says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. That's line upon line, precept upon precept, fair enough, which you may find a misunderstanding. Now, we could take that to the bank and have full faith in that because the scripture says what? And I'm going to read something about the very character of God himself. When you go into Hebrews 
chapter six. Uh, I started at verse sixteen. Hebrews chapter six and verse sixteen. It says what? For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So, when you're talking about there's a controversy between two men now, and, and, and I'm a, you know I'm basically going to I'm referencing something under the their first covenant, the old covenant, <clears throat> when there was a dispute between Israelites um, and there wasn't uh, a, red, uh, a readily available abundance of proof or information, if a man swore an oath and said, you know, I swear to God or, or as the Lord liveth, I didn't do this or I didn't do that, that's the end of the matter. That's it. That's That's where... It's 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 a law and oath in the uh in the Old Testament in the Old Covenant that Paul is referring to here in Matthew and Hebrews chapter six and sixteen when he says an oath uh for men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife because the most I say listen if they swear by my name you shall accept it it's over but the most I also say. He that swear by his name falsely, he's not, he shall not be blameless. So you, if you swearing by the, if you taking the name of the Lord in vain, meaning in a lie, the Most High is going to execute judgment upon you. But in those matters between men, if you if you uh, 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 swear by the name of the Lord, then that was to end the matter, so that strife wouldn't be going on in the land and among the children of Israel. Okay. So, and, and, and the reason why I'm saying for men verily swear by the greater because you have to, as men, we swear by something greater than ourselves, which is the most high. At that time, now under the new covenant, of course, we understand we don't swear at all because Christ our Lord said not to do it. But back then, in that time, for those reasons, it was allowed to be done so that strife can be eliminated. Okay, so going on to the next verse of verse 17, it says, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Okay, so basically it's telling you that the Most High swore by himself, meaning the Lord can't swear to anything greater than himself, so he swore by himself the things and the promises that he made unto the nation of Israel. Okay. Verse 18 says that by two immutable things, both the, in, in those two immutable things is the promise that he gave us in the oath that he made on his own name that he will fulfill it, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. So that's just letting us know that we can trust in the in the commandments, we can trust in the scriptures, we can trust in the promises of the Most High, because he swore by himself, and he's going to do it. But the thing we need to pull out of here is that the scripture says uh, the two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. So we're reading the scriptures when it says that, uh, God doesn't tempt any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. We know that is the absolute truth because God cannot lie. So 
we know that the scripture is not telling us God is the one uh, leading us into temptation. That's madness. But this is what you have going on when you have a person, a corrupt, a person of corrupt mind, uh, leading astray a bunch of people. And the scripture says, um, you know, what Christ said, when the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. So that's why that's it goes right. right back to it goes right back to study to show thyself approved and search the scriptures daily whether those things are so and not oh the Pope said it so it must be true. That's madness. Yeah, that is madness. And what I would like to do uh, is uh, take a quick break, <clears throat> and then when we come back from the break, I have a question that I would like to pose to you, brother. But, but first, let's uh, let's take this quick break, right quick. All right. Look, I want the truth. It's time out for those lies. Whenever something happens, all I get are lies, lies, and more lies. Okay? You know what? When things happen, I know where I can go to get away from all these lies and get to the real truth. Oh, yeah. I'll get the truth whether you tell me or not. I'll get the truth from the brothers in the virtual living room. Those brothers tell the truth about what's going on in the world based on what's written in the Holy Scriptures. And you know what? I can get them live. That's right, live. I can hear them every Sunday at 2 p.m. on Blog Talk Radio. And just in case something happens before then, I can still get truth from their archive shows. So keep on telling those lies. As for me and my house, We'll get the truth. I apologize. We're back with you. We're back with you. And uh, we're talking today about the Lord's Prayer and the Pope. And uh, Brother Kavar, are you still with me? Yeah, I'm with you, bro. Okay, I, I apologize for that. A little bit of a technical difficulty. But we're talking okay. about the Lord's Prayer and the Pope, and uh, what, we're, what we were discussing before the break was, <clears throat> excuse me, what we were discussing before the break was, you know, the Pope decides that he wants to change something that the Heavenly Father has already established himself, and something that Jesus Christ taught us to do was the prayer, the Most Highest Prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And mm-hmm. we, it was, it's already been established, it's already been proven that the Heavenly Father does not tempt us, we tempt ourselves, number one. But I have to ask the question, or excuse me, and also for, for the sake of the edification, Matthew 6 and 9 our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, the rest and the rest of the prayer, that came from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So the question, brother, that I wanted to pose to you was, is the Catholic Church straining on a gnat and swallowing a camel uh, on, the issue, on this issue of the Lord's Prayer? Is the Catholic Church overemphasizing something that, we all can see and determine and decipher for ourselves that 
that's not what that passage means, or or is there something that the Catholic Church really should be focusing on besides the wording of the Lord's Prayer? Help me out, brother. Help me to understand this. Oh, definitely, definitely, bro, because, you know, that's what Christ mentioned in Matthew 23 and verse 24, because you have the scribes and the Pharisees and their, their madness and, you know, them going off on a tangent on things that weren't even important. And that's why he told them, ye blind guides, Matthew 23 and 24, ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel, meaning you got – you 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 make a big deal out of nothing, and you make nothing out of things that are actually a big deal. So we look at the Roman Catholic Church, and they tell you, well, you know, let's maybe we got to change this wording in the in the Lord's Prayer because it may mislead people, so on and so forth. And so I I really want to look at the hypocrisy. And what they're doing because they're straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Now they want to focus mm. on this little bit of wording in, in in the Lord's prayer, which is just fine. They can leave that alone, and they want to because quote unquote they're worried about people getting the wrong understanding. But they change the Lord's Sabbath from the seventh day to the first day, and that's fine. That somehow that's mm. not going to miss. Somehow that's not going to mislead people. When, 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 if you the breaking of the Lord's Sabbath day is a is a crime worthy of what? Death. Is worthy of death. Yes. So you're talking about lead us not into temptation. Oh well, let's make a big deal out of that. Maybe that could cause a problem. Do you think changing the Lord's Sabbath day might cause a problem? Do you think maybe you need to focus on not doing that and misleading people in that area? Maybe that is something you need to focus on. So I wanted to, I wanted to uh, make a few points on this because um, I'm pulling I'm pulling this information now from uh, this website called uh, CGI.org, and the, the title was "Who Changed the Sabbath Day to Sunday?" And so they they compiled mm-hmm. you know a good little piece of information. Uh, together, and I just wanted to kind of go through it so people could kind of understand and see the hypocrisy and see how, wait, you're straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel, and you're, and you're being hypocrite because the wording of the Lord's Prayer, which is fine, is not an issue. But altering the Sabbath day is. So I'll, I'll read the excerpt here in this little article. It says, Constantine made Sunday a civil rest day. And it, and it reads, when Emperor Constantine I, a pagan sun worshiper, came to power in 313 A.D., he legalized Christianity, which is a religion that they want to attack to the name Christ, legalized Christianity and made the first Sunday keeping law. His, his infamous Sunday enforcement law, of March 7, 321 A.D. reads as follows. On a venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and people residing in cities rest and let all workshop be closed. Codex Justinus 3.12.3, uh, 
in uh, Philip Schaff's History of the Christian Church, 5th edition, uh, New York, 1902. That's where that's being referenced out of. So here it is. They changed in the rest day of Emperor Constantine, the rest day of the Lord, from the seventh day to the first day. Okay, so the next paragraph, the next uh, paragraph reads, the Sunday law was officially confirmed by the Roman papacy, papacy, the Council of Laodicea in 364 A.D. Now, mind you, these are, this is hundreds of years after the establishment of Christ Church under, when, he, when he set up the apostles and the, and the, and the, and the uh, disciples after that and the doctrine was taught. We're talking about 300 years at least 250 years later, this madness is coming. So guess what they were thinking before they changed it from the seventh day, Saturday, to the first day, Sunday? Guess what they, everybody was keeping? The Sabbath day, the seventh day, yeah. which is, the, mm-hmm. which is the, day, the day of rest. But the Roman papacy, under the council led the sea in 364 A.D., 300 years later, Christians, it says what? Christians shall not Judaize and be idle on Saturday, meaning don't Judaize, meaning don't follow the scriptural Sabbath day and be idle, meaning rest. They call resting being idle. It says what? But shall work on that day. Who in the world gave them the authority to do that? It says, but the Lord's day they shall especially honor. It, and they're referring to the first day, that, that, that Sunday. It says, as being Christians, shall, if possible, do no work that day, meaning the first day, Sunday. It says, if, however, mm-hmm. they are found Judaizing, they shall be shut out from Christ. Oh, yeah. I mean, can, can you swallow that camel? Can you swallow that that's camel a mighty, right That's there? a mighty large camel, brother. That's a mighty large camel. But so I want to let me just get the reference. Maybe another two, three minutes. Let me, okay. let me just get the reference. This is Charles J. Happel in A History of the Councils of the Church. Okay, this is uh, Edinburgh, 1867 edition. Okay, um, so, mm-hmm. so I mean, I, I just had a few other points to read, but if you want to move on, if you want to hit some other thing, that's fine too. I just want to, I just want to uh, emphasize that. Straighter than that, swallow the camel. You want to you you want to focus in on the phrasing of the Lord's prayer as a, in reference to temptation, but yet and still you got priests raping and molesting little boys and girls. Hmm. You want to oh, yeah. you you want to focus in on the phrasing of the Lord's prayer, but yet and still you got widespread corruption in the Catholic Church. So you can tell me that it's more profitable, it's more profitable, it's more necessary, it's more needworthy to focus in on the phrasing of the Lord's Prayer in reference to temptation instead of teaching the very repentance to the billions upon billions of people who follow and the Catholic Church. Now, fill in the gaps for me, please. What did I miss? Exactly. Exactly. Straining that and that, swallowing a camel. So, 
it goes to show you Christ already gave us, already laid out the hypocrisy that's going on in these uh, religious institutions. I'll go on to another reference. Um, this is Cardinal Gibbons in Face of Our Fathers, 92nd edition, page 89, freely admits. Now, he's part of the Roman Catholic Church, okay? This is what he freely admits in his book. It says, you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. It says, the scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday, a day which we, the Catholic Church, never sanctify. What is that? It says, again... This is exactly, brother. Exactly. So, so I mean, we, we'll post the site so everybody uh, know, you know, where we're referencing from. But these books that I'm mentioning is the man's name, the name, the title of the book, the edition, and the page. Go read it for yourself. Go read. This is a cardinal. Yeah. A cardinal was very <laughs> high up in the in the Roman Catholic Church. We start talking about cardinals. Yeah. Okay. Again, the Catholic Church. By virtue of her divine mission, change the day from Saturday to Sunday. This is from the Catholic Mirror, uh, official publication of James Cardinal Gibbon, September 23, 1893. Go read it. It's there for you to, to, to see. So who changed it? He's, he's telling you we gave our own selves the authority we acknowledge Sunday. We don't deal with Saturday, and this is what we're going to do, period. Now, we already know it came from Emperor Constantine in 313 A.D., a sun worshiper. Okay? So now you see how much time passes from 313 A.D. to 1893 when Gibbons is writing this. Hundreds of years of following complete madness, not only madness, Idolatry in its rankest, foulest form. Most of them. Did you want to? But did you want to interject? I just had three other paragraphs. No, 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 no. Uh, the only thing I really wanted to interject at this point, just to walk it slightly backwards, I want to read the scripture. This is Psalms one eleven, verse ten, and it says, sure. "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments." His praise endure forever. So now, the understanding of Matthew six and nine, in reference to us, us being uh, being tempted, it's in James, like you've already brought out, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, from Isaiah twenty-eight, chapter verse nine and verses ten. Now, the reason why this comes to mind is because when you read the second part of the scripture, a good understanding have all they that do. His commandments, his praise endures forever. It's letting you know for you to have any understanding of what is being stated, what's being prophesied of, how the what the law means and how to apply it. You have to be putting these things in action. You have to make the scriptures actionable. That means you have to put in the practice what the Heavenly Father is telling you so that you have an understanding of what these things mean. Now, I'm going to ask a question. 
And the question is this. Is the Pope himself keeping the commandments of God? I dare say the answer is no. So how can he cause understanding to the billions and billions of followers of how to truly live, interact with each other, serve the Heavenly Father, follow Christ, if he himself is not making the commandments of God actionable? Or in other words, how can he give the understanding of what it truly means to follow the Heavenly Father and understand the writings and passages of the Bible if he's not putting it into practice himself? Now that, i got to read Matthew chapter 5. Universal Scripture came out the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And it says, Think not, 5-17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, to heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now here's the point. Here is the point. This is something that we all have to be mindful of. Verse 19, whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach, wait a minute, Christ said do and teach. He didn't say do or teach. Christ said do and teach. You got to have both. And right about now, the Pope is doing neither. Nevertheless, but whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. People are being misled by a satanic doctrine by a man put in a position of power, of influence, of authority, and they're not taking the initiative to look into the scriptures and see what the scriptures are saying for themselves, but instead they're blindly being led and their salvation is being jeopardized by two persons, by themselves and a man that's not the true man of God, established by God to teach, to lead the people toward Christ and repentance. So now as far as this is concerned, in reference to the phrasing of the Lord's Prayer and lead us not into temptation, no, let me be very emphatically clear that the Pope does not have not one right, not a piece of a point, not any type of permission from the Heavenly Father to change that which was already written. Like the scriptures also tell us, that the word of the Lord is right. So in other words, the way that it's written, whether it's in English, Spanish, German, French, Italian, and name any other language that you want to, that's the way the Most High wanted it. And for those who truly are seeking understanding in the scriptures, they'll find it. All they have to do is humble themselves in repentance and follow the example and the teachings of Jesus Christ, and the understanding will come. Now, my brother, if I missed something, please fill in the gap. So it goes to show you exactly. People are following men rather than God. 
in the scripture said the, the, the brother Peter spoke by the spirit and said what? We ought to follow God rather than men. Rather than men. So second Peter's chapter two verse nineteen. I want to get this because mm-hmm. it says let me, let me read this reference first before I go to the scripture. So Going right back yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. to uh, the CGI.org, dealing with the article, Who Changed the Sabbath Day to Sunday, where the author pulls out all of these references from the Roman Catholic Church's own writings, the writings of their own cardinals, leaders, and publications, quoting either their, their uh, 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 material, what's actually going on. And I in this, this is from the Sunday Visitor, February 5th, 1950. He's quoting, in, and it says, quote, Protestants do not realize that by observing Sunday, they accept the authority of the spokesperson of the church, the Pope. So, okay, this is whose authority they're accepting, the authority of the Pope. Not the authority of the Most High, not the authority of Jesus Christ, not the authority of the Scriptures, but the authority of the Pope. And they must be because the things that the Pope is saying is not the things that the Lord, that Jesus Christ, our Lord, commanded. So they obviously are disannulling the authority of Christ so that they may be under the authority of the Pope. Now, it's a terrible thing because when we read in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 19, it tells us something very important. And we need to pay close attention to this. Mm-hmm. Second Peter 2.19, it says, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. Listen and understand what that's saying. It says, for a while they promised them liberty, because you've got a lot of people out in the world who saying, hey, you can have liberty because, hey, I tell you, the law is done away. I tell you, the Sabbath has been changed from the first day to the, excuse me, from the seventh day to the first day, from the Sabbath day to Sunday. Okay, promising them liberty. It says, they themselves are the servants of corruption. The same people who tell you these things are servants of Satan, the devil, whether knowingly mm-hmm. or unknowingly. A lot of them, especially when you talk to, when you get to this cardinal and pope level, level, are knowingly serving Satan, the devil. They know what they're saying is not scriptural. We just read it where they're quoting it themselves. We don't we don't follow the Sabbath day. We follow Sunday. It's under our authority. We're choosing to do it this way. Follow us. So they're not making any, they're not hiding it from you. It's written in their documents what it is. So it says, they are the servants of corruption. It says, for of whom a man is overcome. If you let this man, the Pope, or these cardinals overcome you, how do they overcome you? By you taking heed and coming under their authority and following what they say rather than coming under the authority of Christ and following what he says. If you do, if you follow what they say and accept their authority, you have been overcome by them. 
And what does the scripture say about that? If you overcome, it says, of the same is he brought into bondage. They're bringing you wow. into bondage to sin. They're bringing you into bondage to Satan, the devil. That's who they're bringing you in the box. That's who are they, they're linking you to to serve him. So when the scriptures talk about, excuse me, when this, when this uh, quote says Protestants do not realize that by observing Sunday, they accept the authority of the spokesperson of the church, the Pope. Madness. We're not supposed to accept that authority. There is only one authority of the church. That's Jesus Christ. The end. End of discussion. End of discussion. Another (laughs) quote. This is from uh, H.F. Thomas from the uh, Mm -hmm. Chancellor of Cardinal Gibbon. Okay? Mm -hmm. It says, of course, the Catholic Church claims that the change Saturday Sabbath to Sunday was her act. And the act is a mark of her ecclesiastical authority in religious things. See how they admitting it? We they yeah. they are they are declaring their own authority, and here's a here's the sad part: they're declaring their authority over Christ. And I just have one more, one more from the Catholic Recorder of London, Ontario, mm-hmm. September first, nineteen twenty-three, and it says, "Sunday is our mark of authority. The Church is above the Bible, and this this." Uh, Trans-reference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. That's sick. That's satanic. I wasn't. I, I, I wasn't even prepared to really even hear that. It says Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible. And remember, this is a quote. This is written. The church is above the Bible, and this trans-reference of Sabbath observance. Is proof of that fact. When you talk about the trans reference of the Sabbath, he means going from Saturday the first, the seventh day, to Sunday the first day. That's a trans reference of this of mm-hmm. Sabbath observance. It's proof of that fact. Okay, this is the Catholic Recorder of London, Ontario, September first, nineteen twenty-three. Don't go if you while you're googling a bunch of cats and dogs on YouTube. Google that and find out what that's saying. So it just goes to show you this is the madness that's, that's going on. Straining out of that, swallowing the camel, word about two words in the scriptures, think, thinking that's going to cause confusion, but yet changing the Sabbath day and admitting that it is you doing it under your own authority according to your own mind, it against the will of Christ and the Most High, that's a small thing. Yeah. So our time is running out. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to read this scripture. I want to get you, I, I want to get your buy-in on it. I'm gonna give a little bit myself. I want to get your buy-in on it as well. This is John chapter five, and I'm going straight to the point. Verses 43 and 44. Read the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and He says, "I am come in My Father's name, and ye receive Me not. If another shall come in His own name, him ye will receive." How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Guess what, brothers and sisters? A lot of our people, a lot of people, period, they're guilty of this. Verse 43, 
I am come in my Father's name, and ye and receive me not. We have the scriptures. We have the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, black, white, and red, for us to follow, for us to study, for us to apply our minds to and practice. But we don't want to do that. But yet, a man, whether it's your pope, your cardinal, your bishop, your archbishop, your deacon, your preacher, your pastor, he comes with his own agenda, with his own program, under his own authority, and our people give rightly, not just our people, excuse me, I apologize, people, period, just latch onto that hook, line, and sinker instead of taking the initiative and performing the due diligence of researching, reading, studying the scriptures, and seeing what the Heavenly Father is saying. Verse 44, how can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? That's a very good question. How is it mm. that we receive, that we believe a person who receives his honor, his accolades, his reference from another person instead of seeking the honor that comes from the heavenly only, which comes in the form of us repenting and following Christ? Exactly, exactly, and it goes to show you that people would rather, full well, people reject the commandments of God that they may keep their own traditions, and that's all that's going on, because as it was written, and as it is, in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20, it says, to the law and to the testimony, and the testimony of this Bible is Jesus Christ, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So when you, your cardinal, your popes, whatever, they're speaking things of their own accord that is not written in the scriptures, the scriptures tell you why that's happening and what the result is. It is because there is no light in them. And if there's no light in them, that means there is darkness. And if there's only darkness in them, that means they are filled with Satan the devil. Exactly. Well, brother, given all praises to the Heavenly Father Christ, I want to also thank you for hanging out with me this afternoon. I also want to thank our listening audience. And with this, with, with all of this, hopefully we'll be back sometime very soon with another topic to discuss. We are give all praises to the Heavenly Father and His Son Christ for allowing us once again the opportunity to speak, to interact, and to share the understanding of the scriptures with you all, our listening audience, and until the next time, we say shalom. Shalom. Gracias por escuchar a nuestro programa de hoy. Si usted tiene más preguntas acerca de la Iglesia Cuerpo de Cristo, visite nuestra página web en español en español.